This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. The return of Aaron Judge. And, you know, you never know when a guy's going to be out of the lineup for a month or two months or 42 games in this case and how long it's going to take for him to get his timing back. Judge, batting second, the designated hitter tonight for the Yankees, stepped into the batter's box, took a cut at the first pitch he saw, and couldn't have hit it harder. Hit it on a line to right field. The only problem was it stayed up there for Anthony Santander to run it down. Uh, but Aaron Judge's first at-bat showing no indication that his timing is off at this point. So we'll see how that progresses. As I said, Yankees and the Orioles are scoreless. Garrett Cole on the mound. Grayson Rodriguez pitching for Baltimore, who's been up and down, but pretty good. Another one of their really good, talented young players on that Orioles team. It's a big series for the Orioles because, yeah, they have the best record in the American League, the second best record in baseball. They're 62-40. and 40. They're in first place in the American League East. But they're the Orioles, and they haven't been in this position this late in the season in a long time since Buck Showalter was their manager, in fact. You remember that guy, right? Well, I just don't think that there's a lot of people, because of their youth, because of their lack of experience, there's not a lot of people who believe in them yet. And even though the Orioles are a better team than the Yankees, I don't think you'll find anyone who would dispute that. This could be a statement series for the Orioles against the Yankees if they can win the series, if they can put the screws to the Yankees in these three games. But they're just underway after a a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. Uh, Game one of this weekend, three-game series. For the Yankees, the reasons why this is a huge series are more obvious because they need to win as many games as they possibly can between now and the end of the regular season to have a chance of getting into the postseason. And it's going to be an uphill climb because you look at the matchups. Well, you look at the standings, first of all, in the American League. And right now in the wild card race, the Yankees are three games behind the Blue Jays who have already won tonight. So the Blue Jays beat the Angels. So those are two teams that are in the same boat as the Yankees. Blue Jays have the third wild card spot. Angels have been red hot lately. They are now one full game behind the Yankees. But the later in the season you get when there's so many teams mixed up in a bucket. And shame on the Rays. After their historic start to the season, the Rays are 5-15 and 15 during the month of July. They have come back to the point now they're in that same bucket as the Yankees. Remember when the Rays had the Yankees buried when they were in first place? The Yankees right now, never mind Baltimore, as Garrett Cole gets out of the second inning, so they're scoreless heading to the third. Never mind Baltimore. The Tampa Bay Rays have been so anemic in July, they have come all the way back to the pack. They're only six and a half games ahead of the Yankees. So my point there is you've got Tampa Bay, Houston, and Toronto. Those are the three teams in the wild card spots right now. And then you have Boston, the Yankees, and the Angels. So you have three additional teams all within four games of the final wild card spot. So that's six teams fighting for three spots. Inevitably, over the final two months of the regular season, oftentimes you're going to see two of those teams play each other, which means two things. Number one, it could be good for a team like the Yankees because one of those teams is guaranteed to lose, but it's also bad for a team like the Yankees because one of those teams is guaranteed to win. So essentially, even if you win your game, you are not making up any ground on at least on one of those two teams. And that's what's happening this weekend with Toronto and the Angels. That's why you can't wait. That's why it's important when we say you're X amount of games out, but you have to jump over X amount of teams. Like the Mets case, for example. And the Mets win again. Of course they did, right? The Mets last night 
made it clear that they're going to be sellers ahead of the trade deadline. They traded off their most tradable commodity. It happened right towards the tail end of our show at about 11.40 last night. The news broke that David Robertson was traded to the Miami Marlins. And that's their most tradable commodity. That's in many ways their most important player this season. And he's already gone. So you wonder who's going to follow David Robertson out the door. But the Mets very clearly made their intentions known last night. So now what are they going to do? Well, of course, they're going to go on a run, right? They won last night. They won again tonight. Pete Alonso had a monster game with two more home runs, and he's on a tear right now. So, of course, now that the Mets declare they're going to be sellers, they're going to go on a run. Well, they could, actually, because they're playing two very bad teams. They have two more games over the weekend against the Nationals, and then you have a three-game series against the Kansas City Royals. And anybody who saw the Royals in the Bronx last weekend knows what they're all about. But the Mets right now are six and a half games out of the third wild card spot in the National League. But they have to jump over one, two, three. They have to jump over four teams. And that's why we give you that. They have to jump over four teams as well. So the Reds, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, and the Cubs. Well, what if the Reds are playing against the Diamondbacks in a series? So even if the Mets win, there's at least, well, I shouldn't say at least one of those teams the Mets are not going to gain ground on. So that's why you don't want to wait too late in the season to make your move. We'll follow along with the Yankees, but we'll start with the Mets because they're the ones that are finished. Um, and obviously, the Mets story really got going last night, like I said, with the news that David Robertson was on his way to Miami. And, and talk about declaring that you're a seller. Not only trading off a guy like David Robertson, but trading him to one of the teams that you're trying to chase down. So the message sent there is very clear so what happened tonight well they win again they win five to one it was another night where the Mets lineup struggled except for Pete Alonzo and he's really really starting to heat up Alonzo's last seven games now including tonight where he goes two for four with two more home runs including an absolutely mammoth blast in the middle of the game a three-run home run that broke this game wide open. It went 453 feet into the second deck at City Field. Uh, so Alonzo, that made it 3-0 in the fifth inning. Alonzo's last seven games, he's batting 444 with four home runs and 10 RBIs. He has raised his batting average from 204 to 220. So can the Mets actually still win while they're becoming sellers? Sure they can. Number one, I just told you who they're playing over the next week, Washington and Kansas City, two of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. Another reason why they can still win is because there are plenty of guys in this lineup, the most important guys in this lineup who are not getting traded. Even if the Mets are sellers, Alonzo is not getting traded. Lindor is not getting traded. Brandon Nimmo is not getting traded. Francisco Alvarez is not getting traded. Sure, you can see Mark Hanna go. You could see Tommy Pham go, although he struggled, even though he did pick up a base hit tonight. But the guys who are expected to carry this lineup, and frankly haven't, which is how they got into this predicament in the first place, those guys can start playing better. And to be honest with you, and we've spoken a lot about this in the context of the Yankees in recent weeks as they've struggled without their captain, who's back tonight. The biggest reason why the Yankees weren't hitting without Aaron Judge, other than the fact that they were without Aaron Judge, was the fact that the guys that are supposed to be doing it weren't. Stanton and Rizzo and LeMayhew, and until 
the All-Star break. Glaber Torres wasn't exactly tearing the cover off the ball. Those are the guys who weren't doing it. Well, if you look at the Mets guys who haven't been doing it either, Alonzo and Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Alvarez, I honestly have more faith that that group of players is going to turn things around than the Yankees group of players will. Why? Because these guys are still in the prime of their careers. You know, Alonzo's just in the prime of his career. Francisco Lindor, while I've never thought he was as good as people thought he was, should be better than he's been this year. Brandon Nimmo has had a really good season, but he's tailed off in July. So with the Yankees, the issue is more, is LeMahieu on the other side of it? Is Anthony Rizzo on the other side of it? Is Giancarlo Stanton on the other side of it? And those are all very fair questions to ask because their performance has indicated that that might be the case. And all of those players are in their early to mid-30s. So you don't improve at that point of your career. That's not the case for these Mets stars, and I'm using that term loosely. Alonzo, Lindor, Nimmo, Alvarez, I put in a different bucket. I'd say he's not being traded because he's one of the future building blocks of the franchise. But there's still, he's been fine. He's been terrific. There's still room for him to grow in that role as well. So can the Mets continue to sell off pieces? Sure, because... Outside of David Robertson, that's going to be an issue. You know, if you win 5-1 to one and you don't need to go to your closer. Um, although Raley was really good last night, but now there's, uh, other than Adam Adovino, there's nothing behind Raley in terms of depth in that Mets bullpen. If you win 5-1, to one, you don't have to go to your closer. You get two huge home runs from Pete Alonso. You get three base hits from Jeff McNeil, whose average is now up to 255, which is a good sign. So, sure, you could keep winning if you trade off a Tommy fan or if you trade off a Mark Hanna. The other thing that came out of tonight was Max Scherzer. And this is where it's going to be real interesting. Is it possible that this was Scherzer's last start as a Met? Well, based on the way he pitched, I would not rule it as an impossibility. You know, we saw yesterday reports that the Mets are considering packages for Justin Verlander, who by far and away over the last month has been the better pitcher, the superior pitcher to Max Scherzer. But what you saw from Max tonight, and I don't know if it was looking across the diamond and seeing the uniform that he used to wear for the bulk of his career or what it was, but this was the old Max. I mean, this was, never mind the numbers, and they were great. He gave up just the one home run, but seven, seven innings, six hits, the one run, he struck out seven, but just the whole persona of Max. You got the whole Max experience. You know, when the Mets were at bat, he's stalking around the dugout he can't sit still he's fidgeting he's got that crazy intense look in his multicolored eyes that was the Max Scherzer who you saw during a start last year just that absolute fire and intensity that you love as a competitor and that hasn't been there this year this is the first time in a long time that I saw that Max Scherzer during a start you know, more often than not this year, and look, Max's numbers aren't terrible. His ERA is just about an even four, 4.01 after tonight. He's 9-4, and four, but let's not get too hung up on the win-loss record. His numbers aren't terrible. They're just not what you would expect from Max Scherzer, and they're definitely not what you would expect or need or hope from somebody getting paid $43 million. So in that context, yeah, they are subpar this season. But in the context of a major league starting pitcher, the numbers are fine. And as I've said all summer long, the problem is Scherzer is not being paid 
to be fine. Well, what if this is more like the guy he is now right now? Because all season long, more often than not, we've seen kind of a defeated guy in the dugout, lacking that intensity, searching for answers, not that confident, crazed, and I mean that in a good way, look in his eyes when he's in the dugout in between innings when he's the starting pitcher that night. Tonight you saw that from Max Scherzer, and tonight you got the results. So does that change the opinion? Look, if you're going after Max Scherzer, that means you're putting all of your chips in the middle of the table. He has been there. He has been through the wars. He has won. He has won at a very high level. He has pitched big games. He's also pitched poorly in big games, as Mets fans know, because the biggest game he's pitched in a Mets uniform, he came up small last year against San Diego. But nobody is 100% in big games. Nobody in baseball history. Everybody's got a blemish on their record. The problem is as you approach 40, those blemishes become more frequent and probably a little bit more magnified. But for a half a season, not even a half a season, for a two-month stretch run for a team that needs a guy to put him over the top, does tonight's performance put Max Scherzer in play for the Mets as well? Does it put... Is Justin Verlander in play with the way that he has pitched over the last month, month and a half? He's been dominant during that stretch. One of the best pitchers in baseball. So I don't know. We'll see if the old Max stirred up some feelings throughout Major League Baseball that maybe, just maybe, he could be a missing piece down the stretch. It's going to be really interesting for the Mets. We can stop talking about the wild card race until they're actually, I would say, two to three games out of a wild card spot, which considering that they have declared themselves to be sellers, I don't see that happening. But if it does, that's great. Like I said, they could get hot. Alonzo and Lindor and Nimmo and Alvarez, they could get hot. They could carry this lineup. But until they get into that position, let's just talk about the Mets and what is possible for them to do between now and 6 p.m. on Tuesday August 1st, the Major League Baseball trade deadline, because that's the main story surrounding the Mets right now. It's a different story surrounding the Yankees. We don't anticipate that they would be sellers. I don't think there's any reason for them to be sellers. That's not to say that it's smooth sailing into the playoffs for the Yankees now that Aaron Judge is back tonight. But, boy, that makes a world of a difference. And we've got a nice pitcher's duel going on at Camden Yards tonight. Garrett Cole, who has had a fantastic season. This is a really big spot for Cole against one of the best teams in baseball. It's hot. It's muggy. He had to sit out a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. We know that Garrett Cole doesn't like alterations to his schedule. Historically, he does not handle those things well. So far, he is, as the Yankees and the Orioles are scoreless with two outs in the bottom of the third inning. So we'll talk about the Mets and their intentions leading up to the trade deadline here from Billy Epler. Um... We'll continue to follow along the Yanks and the Orioles from Camden Yards, and we'll get into the football, specifically the Jets, specifically Dalvin Cook, who by the day it becomes more and more likely that this marriage actually could happen between the star running back who, despite being cut this offseason, is still in his prime and the New York Jets. And, of course, your calls at 1-800-919-3776. Here till midnight, Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Nestor Cortez, who 
you know, a lot of it's been lost because he went on the injured list two days after Aaron Judge hurt his toe in Los Angeles. Nestor's been out since the 5th of June. He made a rehab start in double-A Somerset with the Patriots tonight. 49 pitches, four shutout innings, and he struck out five while walking one batter. So maybe one more rehab start for Nestor Cortez after tonight, and then perhaps his next turn through the rotation, he could rejoin the Yankees rotation as well. So uh, good things starting to happen for the Yankees. Jonathan Lewisaga, an important arm out of their bullpen, also not too far away from what it sounds. All right, we'll get to the Billy Epler thing in just a moment and his reaction to the David Robertson trade. Is this the beginning? Is this the end? Is this it? What else can we expect from the Mets leading up to the trade deadline? And, of course, your calls at 1-800-919-3776. Let's lead things off this hour with Josh in Ohio. Hey, Josh. Hey, Pat. How are you? I'm good, Josh. How you doing? I'm good. So I'm I'm okay with the return for Robertson. Two young prospects. I know it's going to take a while for them to come up. I'm okay with the positions they play. That's just how you build a farm system, positional flexibility. You need to just acquire talent. What I don't understand is if you look at the potential closers that were going to be available, it's Robertson, maybe Josh Hader, but San Diego could fool themselves into buying. And then maybe Jordan Hicks, but St. Louis is trying to give him an extension. So you potentially had the best closer available and every single contender needing bullpen help. Why are you taking the Thursday night offer when the deadline's Tuesday? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I agree with you on both fronts, Josh. I think it's a fine return for David Robertson. He's a guy they kind of took a flyer on in the offseason towards the tail end of his career. This was a one-year thing for Robertson. He pitched extremely well, and the value is good. But, yeah, it's confusing to me also. Uh, I, I don't understand you know, what their thinking was that this offer wouldn't be there, um, you know, by 6 p.m. on Tuesday and, and with the chances that something better. Because even even in a bullpen situation with a guy like Robertson, even if there's a team that has a closer, they could still acquire Robertson and put him in as the eighth inning setup, man. That's what he was supposed to be on the Mets anyway. Yeah, exactly. The, the thing that – I guess the thing that I'm concerned about, and I just really hope this isn't the case because this would just be franchise malpractice, is – I'm, I'm afraid they looked at the next five games and said, we got Washington and Kansas city. There's a chance we win five in a row and we're close to 500. And if we tried to sell pieces, the fans would go insane. I just really hope that's not the case. Cause that is not how you run an organization, but I, I cannot think of another explanation. They could have gotten a lot more if they had just waited. I, I don't think it's that, Josh. Thanks for the call. I don't know that they definitely would have gotten a lot more, but I don't think they would have gotten a lot less. So I don't think it would have been a huge risk to wait at least through the weekend to see if you could get a, a better value. Look, the two prospects they got, uh, Judge walked, Rizzo singled, and then Stanton grounded into an inning-ending double play. So we go to the bottom of the fourth. Yanks and O's are, uh, are still scoreless. The guys they got were the 19th and 21st ranked prospects in the Marlins organization. The Marlins have a lot of prospects. Uh, organizations like that are built on young prospects. They are 18 and 19 years old. One of them is an infielder and one of them is a catcher. It's a fine return. Again, I just I find it hard to believe that if they let this play out over the next three or four days, what if a closer gets hurt? What if another team gets hot? Never mind the Mets getting hot and winning four games in a row. What if another team gets hot like the Cubs or if the Angels continued to win and now all of a sudden 
in three or four days from now, those types of teams see themselves as greater contenders than they do right now. I don't know. The timing was curious. Speaking of that, let's hear from the Mets general manager, Billy Epler, uh, on the value that his team received for David Robertson. You know, we were faced with you know where our club was at this uh, at this time of the season, and um, I've had a number of inquiries on our players, and we were listening. And uh, in this circumstance, you know, the value of the players that we acquired, you know, kind of exceeded our expectations, and so we uh, we executed it. The bottom line is this: the Mets, and this has been proven this season. I mean, this season's going to go down as one of the biggest disastrous single seasons in sports history. Highest payroll in the sport, and you're out of it? You're basically out of it before the calendar turns to August? I mean, that's a really, really tough pill to swallow. I know it's it's not as jarring because I think Mets fans have really been resigned to this since the middle of June. You know, outside of that one week at the beginning of July where they ran off six games in a row, this team since the beginning to middle of June has shown no indications that it has a run in them. So... This is not a model for success. Just load up on major league talent, pay, overpay in some cases, and hope for the best. And and Steve Cohen knows this. He has said this publicly several times throughout his brief ownership tenure. They need to revamp their minor league system. This is a team that is devoid of talent in all levels of minor league baseball. So Epler also knows that the farm system needs to improve. We can kind of gauge signals from other clubs, and uh, if the signals are strong enough, we have to we have to look for opportunities. I mean, our our farm system's got a way to go. Um, we've had some some drafts that I think a lot of people feel feel good with, um, and uh, but we have to just continue to add. If we're going to go where we need to go um, in the long term, we we're going to need a you know an upper tiered farm system to get there. And what they did now is they got two young prospects with upside. Look, just because they're ranked nine, don't get hung up on rankings when the players are 18 and 19 years old. Those rankings can change dramatically from year to year. And those guys are both in rookie ball, uh, both obviously well thought of prospects, but they can th- those can turn into something. Now, um, hard to imagine the answer to this next question would be, Anything but yes, but does Billy Epler now see the Mets officially as sellers? You know, it's it's more just listening to the other clubs and seeing what you know what opportunities exist. So it's a little different than than just declaring it and calling everybody and saying you know we're sellers. Um, it's more just looking at it on a case by case basis, hearing who you know clubs kind of covet, and uh, hearing what their kind of their price point is on the play. No, that means they're sellers, and they should be. That's not a bad, you know, thing to recognize that at this point, okay? Because we were talking a lot about do they have a run in them? What are they going to do up to the trade deadline? They didn't wait till the trade deadline. In fact, they, like the last caller said, they showed their cards right before back-to-back series against teams that they could beat up on. I mean, think about this. They have two more games against Washington, and then they have three games against Kansas City. They're 49 and 54. If they continue to beat these teams, and that's you know asking a lot to win seven straight games, it's something the Mets haven't done this season. But if they continue to win these games, that's how you get back to 500. But at that point, you'll be beyond the trade deadline. The Mets don't have the luxury 
to wait to see how these next five games play out because the trade deadline comes right in the middle of that Kansas City series. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go on a run right now. They've won two games in a row against the Nats. They've got two more to go. Scherzer pitching the way he did tonight is interesting. I think that makes this whole situation a little more interesting. Verlander, a month ago, you wouldn't have thought of him as a guy whose name would be mentioned ahead of the trade deadline. He now is. Scherzer, a week ago, you wouldn't have thought he would be someone whose name could be mentioned ahead of the trade deadline. And it'll be interesting now over the next couple of days, will his name start to surface? You know, Robertson was the name all along. And then there's just guys like Canna and Pham. Those guys aren't going to revamp your minor league system. Robertson, those two guys are going to help stock the minor league system. Okay? Canna and Pham, that's just about getting off some money, moving in a different direction, and trying to get an asset for two players that are probably not going to be part of your team next year anyway. The other interesting guy is Jose Quintana. And on this show on Wednesday night, after he pitched well again against the Yankees, uh, I threw his name out there as someone who may have made his final start as a Met. Because Quintana's only pitched two games as a Met. He's got a very reasonable contract. He makes $13 million this year. He is set to make $13 million next year. He's a solid veteran. He's pitched well. Yes, he's back from injury, so people had to wait and see. He's not scheduled to start again until after the trade deadline. But do the Mets, now after waiting three months for Quintana, their free agent acquisition to come back and join them, do they pivot immediately and try to get something from him? Because I think of all the guys on the team right now, now that Robertson has moved on, I think the guy they can get the most for, for is Jose Quintana. You know, the Verlander or Scherzer situations are tricky because you're going to, the amount of money that the other team is going to have to pay those guys in salary, that's going to lessen the caliber of prospect that the Mets get in return. Quintana's good. He's, I'm not saying he's as good as Verlander and Scherzer, but it's not just about who's better. It's about who's better at what price. And for the price that Quintana gets paid for what he can give you, that's a very valuable guy. So, we'll, that, look, that's three-fifths of their rotation. That could be up for grabs between now and Tuesday. We want to see how far Billy Epler is willing to take this. All right, Yanks and Orioles, this pitching duel continues in Baltimore. They're in the bottom of the fourth inning now. And they are scoreless. Garrett Cole is dealing. Uh, Aaron Judge is back. A line out to right field and a walk in the top of the fourth inning. So we'll uh, continue to monitor that. And coming up next, we will change the uh, conversation to the Jets and the possibility of Dalvin Cook being the next shiny new object to join the team in Florham Park, New Jersey. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is... Is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Chance to score tickets. Your next chance to win comes up next hour right here on 98.7 ESPN. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York on this Friday night. Some late baseball from Baltimore after the Yankees and the Orioles waited out a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. Boy, the weather continues to be humid, uncomfortable, thunderstorms really the order of this summer uh in baltimore tonight that was the case but now they're cruising along in a pitcher's duel scoreless in the top of the fifth inning yanks have a runner on 
with one out and Harrison Bader at the plate. Yet uh, Mets have already won today, five to one. So they take the first two games of this weekend four-game series against the Washington Nationals. And Alonzo, you know, I did get a little nostalgic. And, it, I, you know, Mets fans, tell me if uh, it was hard not to or if I'm overblowing this or reaching or whatnot. But, you know, this was obviously the, the time of year in 2015, uh, right after the Wilmer Flores game where he thought he was traded and sobbed on the field. Uh, and then that coming weekend after the Mets had re grouped and made the trade for Ioannis Cespedes instead in that uh, night game against the Washington Nationals, who were the top dog in the division at the time, and then Flores hitting the walk-off home run. Um, obviously, the you know one of the rallying points to going on to the World Series. Look, it was this time of year that that went down. Same two teams at City Field. Uh, tonight, Alonzo crushing two home runs. You know, unfortunately for the Mets, uh, a vastly different situation despite their two wins in a row here as they still have a lot of work to do. But it's hard this time of year when you see and you hear all the talk about the trade deadline and you see Mets Nationals on a Friday night at City Field. It's hard not to think about that ridiculous week uh, at City Field. First, the trade that ended up not going through involving Wilmer Flores, and then the absolutely brutal loss to the San Diego Padres, and then the trade that did go through for Ioannis Cespedes, and before he actually joined the team, uh, Flores, still a member of the Met, playing the role of hero, and that was really the turning point of that whole season. You know, the Mets, shortly thereafter, were able to take control of that division. Obviously, when Cespedes got here, uh, he did the lion's share of the work as far as the lineup was concerned. And off they went, and they got on an incredible hot streak, and they won a really exciting five-game series in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. And then they absolutely, behind Daniel Murphy's brilliance, uh, dominated the Cubs in the NLCS. And just like that, the Mets were in the World Series. And, you know, that was one of those, and there's a few of them throughout history, and I speak of them often. Another is the Subway Series that the Mets often also lost. But the 2015 World Series between the Mets and the Royals you look back in history, and somebody who didn't watch that series, a young kid coming up now and learning his sports history and looking back through uh, the Internet um, and sees that the Mets lost four games to one, you think, oh, the Mets were never really in it. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, game one was there to be won. Uh, they did win game three. And then the entire series turned around in game four when they had the lead in the ninth inning and Matt Harvey went to the mound and, uh, was brilliant all night and couldn't close it out. You just wonder, you know, if game one goes a little differently, if game four goes a little differently, if both of those things go a little differently, the Mets would have won the World Series. If one of those things went a little differently, game one or game four, or even game five for that matter, um, you know, it could have been a long series and it would have been interesting to see how it turned out. All right. At uh, Florham Park, New Jersey, uh, Dalvin Cook uh, it sounds like he uh, could be coming to town. Um, look, he's scheduled to visit the Jets over the weekend. Uh, Cook has been getting out there now because we're getting close. Training camps are open. He's a running back. He's in his prime, and uh, he wants a job. And if I'm Dalvin Cook, I want a job with a team that has a chance to win. Why not? He was on a team that won a lot of games last year in Minnesota as their starting running back. It makes – this is the move to make if you're the Jets right now. This 
to be honest, this isn't a high-risk move. This is more of a, this is why Aaron Rodgers just restructured his contract kind of move. You know, Rodgers has made more money during his career than most players ever will in a lifetime, okay? So at this point, he wants that second ring. He wants to, uh, look, his whole approach here in New York is a completely fresh start from his last couple of years in Green Bay. And his restructuring his contract earlier this week is the latest example of that. This is why you do things like that, to bring in people who can help you win. And Dalvin Cook, this isn't a long-term proposition. This look, We just went through this with Saquon Barkley, right? So I feel like if there's one position now where all of us, me, you, fans anywhere, if there's one position where over the last month, we should have gotten an education on what the current market is for that position. It's the running back position. So because of what happened with Saquon Barkley and his inability to get a long-term guaranteed contract with the only team that he has played for, the franchise that he is the face of should tell you that any running back who is in discussions with a team, it is a one-year proposition. That's it. End of story. So you don't have to worry about what Dalvin Cook is going to be like in three years. You don't have to worry about how he's going to age. You don't have to worry about all the miles on him. There's not a ton of miles on him anyway. He has played six seasons. His first two years, he was injury prone. His last four years, he has played in 58 of 65 games. He has become a highly durable player. He has always been a top-tier running back when healthy. He is twenty. He will be 28 years old this season. Last year, he started all 17 games. He ran for 1,173 yards. He ran for eight touchdowns, nearly 1,500 yards from scrimmage, 10 total touchdowns. Dalvin Cook is a move for a win-now team. The Jets are a win-now team. They have been a win-now team since they orchestrated the trade for Aaron Rodgers back in March. Once they did that, it was all systems go. And you've already made the big move. The big move, obviously, was bringing in Aaron Rodgers. Once you make that big move, there is absolutely no reason to skimp anywhere else. Okay? This guy is still in the prime of his career. Now, he might not be in the prime of his career next year, but you might not need him next year. You don't have to worry about next year until next year. This is only about 2023. And in 2023, you look at your team's depth chart. You've got Brees Hall, who was on his way to being the offensive rookie of the year last year until he tore his ACL in Denver on October 23rd. So by the time the season starts, Hall will be about 10 and a half months removed from tearing his ACL. He might not be ready for the season opener. Now, Robert Sala has been optimistic this entire time about Hall's progression, and he's young, and players and running backs come back faster from ACLs than they used to, obviously. But still, you don't know if he's going to be ready for week one. You don't know if he's going to be 100% for week one. You can't, in the tough AFC, with Josh Allen and we think Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert 
and Tua Tungavailoa and Lamar Jackson and all these other teams you're going to be competing against for seeding. Seeding's going to be so important in the AFC this year. You can't afford to ease into the season. You can't afford to slip up the first couple of games because your starting running back wasn't 100% ready. Are you comfortable going into the season with Michael Carter and the rookie Israel Abanakanda out of the University of Pittsburgh from Lincoln High School in Brooklyn? Dalvin Cook is there. He's there for the taking. We'll hear from uh, we'll hear from Cook, and we'll hear s- some thoughts from Robert Sala on this topic when we come back here on ninety eight point seven ESPN New York.